Hi, friends. Welcome back to Almost Heretical. I'm Nate, and Shelby's here with me, and we're so excited that you're here with us today. We're particularly excited about this new series we're starting. It's called Parenting and Deconstruction. It's something we've been thinking about for a long time because this is honestly one of the most important topics to a lot of listeners out there. Not just the ones who have kids, but ones who are thinking about someday when they do have kids, or even anyone who has kids in their life uh, in a close relationship. Yeah, and this is one of the most frequent questions we get at Almost Heretical via email and just in the Zoom calls. I think our last Zoom call we did, this is like what we kicked off the whole call with was someone asked about parenting and we just kind of got into that. And so, yeah, first of all, we'd love to see you on those Zoom calls. You can find out more about that at almostheretical.com. But we also wanted to provide more resources. So this series, we're going to be talking to kind of some experts on this topic of parenting and changing faith and evolving faith. And how do you do that with these little ones uh, around you and these little ones kind of learning from you as you go? So that's what we're going to be getting into in this series. And we're really excited. Today, we're joined by Cindy Wong Brandt. She is the author of a couple books. And what's cool is one of them is actually for kiddos. And we'll get to that in a second. But her main book is called Parenting Forward, a progressive Christian parenting book with a social justice orientation. It's all about how do you raise your kids while you are deconstructing, while you are changing what you believe. And so really excited to talk to her today. The Forward's by Rachel Held Evans, so that's pretty special too. And then her, her kid's book is called You Are Revolutionary. You Have What It Takes to Change the World. And it's uh, this beautiful illustrated book. So we're super excited to get to talk with Cindy today. And here's that conversation now. Well, hi, Cindy. Welcome to Almost Heretical. It's really great to have you, and we can't wait to hear from you on just your expertise around parenting and kids and deconstruction and religious trauma and all of those things together. And this is just one of the topics that I think listeners, especially listeners who have mm. children, are most concerned about and like most tugs at their heart and, and also has some mm. of the least resources out there. So we are really grateful that you're joining the show today. Yeah, those are all the things that I love to talk about. So thank you very much for having me. I'm I'm honored. Yeah, I was like we've been doing this show for five years now, and we get so many questions and so many emails and you know tweets and whatever. Just people, this is this is what they want to know. They want to know like, okay, I'm I'm starting to change in what I believe, and as an adult, I feel like we we can be quite comfortable. I mean, it can be uncomfortable, but like we can be quite comfortable with <laughs> this uncertainty and this shaky ground and you know being mm -hmm. tossed by the sea for a bit we can do that for a few years right like we can right. uh we can kind of make it through that but i think this the, the question that seems like it keeps coming up for uh, parents that are currently experiencing that are like okay well what do i i got these children looking up at me right i got these little eyes looking looking mm -hmm. up at me and like what do i do with them like what do i is it okay to for them to experience someone experiencing that to, and what do I teach them? Do I give them this really uncertainty? Like, I don't know, I'm not sure, <laughs> you know, or like, yes. do I need to give them something concrete? Like, yeah. Like how do you, how have you kind of come to, to yes. think about 
some of those topics? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that one of the things that a lot of us are recovering from is the certainty of mm. doctrine. I think that was the thing that got us. You know, we yes. thought that that was the, the thing that was going to get us into heaven, get, get us into the right standing with God, with the community. And that's why we're deconstructing because we realize, oh, life is not black and white. It's not binary. It is not certain. And the human experience is not certain. And so if we have discovered this and we found the liberation of living with the unknown and that the fact that faith is fluid and that life is fluid, then why on earth would we want to raise our kids with certainty, right? So yes, I think it is okay to let your kids know that this stuff about God, about faith, about where we go after we die, about why they're suffering, all these existential questions are things that evolve and it changes depending on where you are in life. Like all of these things, we can let our kids know. Hmm. Now, having said that, <laughs> kids do need certainty. There's a reason why childhood experts tell us we should establish routines and we should provide stability for mm -hmm. our children. They do need that developmentally. And so, but the way we provide that is not to give them certainty of doctrine, but we give them certainty of love and belonging. Mm. So they do need to know that they are going to be loved, that they're going to belong by you, by the parents, by your family, that your family is going to be a place that they belong. And they need that secure attachment, right? Knowing that they are safe. You know, that's what we're looking for, too. As adults, we're looking for our bodies to feel safe. And we just need to help our kids and let them know that their bodies can feel safe with us, with all of their questions and all their spiritual curiosities, that they can still feel safe in their bodies. And that's all you need. Now, there are, I think, seasons of our lives where people are de deconstructing, and it does create a, a heck of a lot of anxiety and reactions and triggers. And I do think that that can be harmful to the kids. I think anytime our, mm -hmm. the parents are in distress, it's kind of inevitable that you're going to impact the kids. Um, and so it is really imperative for those who are parenting. It's our responsibility with children in our care to really take care of ourselves and to make sure that we are projecting our oversized reactions to a therapist, to community groups like the one that I lead, um, to trusted family and friends and not direct it to our children. And it's not going to be perfect. It's okay. I've certainly uh, lost it with my kids. Um, they Because our kids are very triggering. When you're parenting with religious trauma, one of our number one triggers is our children. And not because of, you know, they're not trying to. The kids are never trying to hurt us. But just by being a child and living through life during ages when we were hurt, when they were age, when, when we were that age, it can be triggering. Um, and it's triggering sometimes when they're doing well. <laughs> we're like, how come you get to have such a good childhood when I had to live through really hard things? That's triggering. And then it's triggering when they are hurt by religion. And you're like, oh, no, 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 this is not happening again. I'm not, you know, so there's so many things um, in raising children that can be triggering. So, it, yeah, it's really important to build yourself a good support system as parents. And, and you know, this is true of all things, not just religious trauma. I remember this moment where I was holding my, at the time, I think, barely two-year-old daughter. And mm. I was still trying to, like, make the church, the traditional church experience work and we're we're standing there and we're singing nothing but the blood and i'm like man we are saying the word blood so many times and she is just this really sharp kid 
And I was like, and she, fortunately she didn't ask me after, but I was just like, man, I don't know what I would, like, if she just asked me like, daddy, what, like, what is, what's why are we singing about the, about blood? Like, what is blood? Like, why are we talking mm-hmm. about blood so much? I just did not feel like confident enough to give an answer that I felt comfortable with. And I just remember thinking, this kind of changes stuff for me. Like, I don't want to mm-hmm. be in a position, like physically in a position with my child where there's these inputs coming in that are like, I don't know how to, like, I, I know what we're talking about and I know mm-hmm. enough to be like, hey, that's not quite how I see things anymore. That's not, mm-hmm. you know, just, but how do I give that to someone else? I'm like, I just need to m- remove myself from those types of situations. Mm, and so that's yeah. what I did. But Well, but, it's so yeah. great when they, you know, I say they trigger us, but they also are often the instigators of our deconstruction. And it's mm. it's a wonderful gift that they give us. Now, our kids should never be responsible for our liberation, <laughs> but oftentimes they do compel us. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, and I love hearing stories like that where parents are like, yeah, I was, you know, coasting along the status quo. And then I had kids and all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, would I want to impart these this theology to my own, you know, my love, the love of my life, you know, my, my kids? And when the answer is no, then you start questioning, well, why have I accepted it for myself? Why is it okay for me if it's not okay for my kids? Yeah, so I love stories like that. I think it's anything that causes people to deconstruct makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember there was a moment I was with um, some children that I was nannying for a couple of years, and I just Mm. loved them so much. and, And I was already in the process of deconstruction, but kind of still very internal, hadn't really talked about it Mm -hmm. openly yet. And, um, but I was reading the Jesus storybook Bible with one of the kids, Mm -hmm. probably around two or three, which I think of within the kind of evangelical world, that's probably the best resource that I've seen. Like it's, it's a well-written book if you're trying to give yeah. the kids a it's, it's of the good Bible. in that it focuses on the stories of jesus but it's not good in that it's very heavy on substitutionary atonement right and so i was reading just genesis the the creation story and then it you know went into the fall and i just remember as i was reading i i just changed the words i'm like the kid doesn't can't read they don't know that but because i realized i mean you know at that point i wasn't even a parent yet but just you know, as someone who loved children, I was like, I can't, Mm. like, this is so wrong to say. And then, you know, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed. And then God said, and I, that's the point where I changed the words. And then I, and I said, God said, that's okay. You can try again. Like, I was just like, how could the answer to this be like, you're banished from the garden forever? Like this just. Yeah. And yet that was what we learned. Exactly. And internalized. Yeah. So it's actually, I mean, I'm really impressed that you were able to do that. You've clearly, you had clearly done some work on yourself because I feel like most people would be afraid to change that. It's the, it's the word of God. Yeah, it definitely felt a little heretical at the right. moment, but, but it's yeah, well, scary. word of God and see, but that's, you know, I've having was, as I was in the middle of that masters of biblical studies that, and, and I was mm. kind of totally in that mindset of like, is is this really the word of God or are they words we've attributed to God? And so I, maybe that mm-hmm. is why I felt the permission to change them. So I was like, this is, I, I think that maybe That's they've great. already been changed. <laughs> yeah. I like to tell people, and this is really heretical, is to tell our kids that the Bible is wrong sometimes. Amen. Yeah. I, I feel like it's so important because they're going to, 
if they're rational beings at all and have any kind of sense, they're going to read stories about Abraham almost sacrificing Isaac and be like, that doesn't seem right. And it's just really great to be able to tell them, yeah, that doesn't doesn't seem right at all. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, I know I want to come back and focus on the Bible, I think, later in the episode, because that's going to be, of course, a big topic for for all of us. But first, I kind of wanted to start with a big picture um, we have, you know, quite a spectrum of listeners, some who are you know, just in the process of reconsidering the faith they grew up with, and some who are wondering if there's anything worth holding on to at all. And so I guess I want to start with what would what do you think is the value of raising kids with a Christian faith at all, versus not? I mean, I think we probably all can say like, there's value to both. I think mm-hmm. probably the listeners yeah. and everyone here, we agree that, you know, your kid doesn't have to be Christian. But that said, what is maybe the value of raising children with a religious tradition or in a Christian faith? I think that we're, I think the human life is, it's all construct, everything is a construct, right? And I think that we all use, we're driven by myth, right? We're driven by stories. And the story of capitalism drives us, the story of democracy drives us. You know, we live within these stories. And I think that having a tradition is just a set of stories and a set of language and container. It's a container for our human experience. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe some people are raising their kids atheist or, you know, without religion, but that's also a story, right? Um, And so I feel like I think it's important that we honor the spirituality of our of our kids because I think every kid has these questions that you know that I mentioned before what happens after we die what what are we here for um what's you know why is there suffering those big existential questions I think is my term for is how I think of spirituality I think those are the spiritual questions and so I think it's really important we honor that because if we don't allow our kids to express those questions and curiosities and find find containers to um, to place those feelings, then they're gonna go elsewhere, and and that's okay too. <laughs> you know, they're gonna find it, and so it's just an opportunity for us as parents and and as a family that's raising them to offer them at least one story. Um, and so I think that's the value in raising your kids with a religion that they have a set. They have a set of language, um, containers, rituals, and doctrines or whatever. I mean, of course, I think what's really important is that they are not bound by this, right? That it's just the starting point and that they have the freedom to dissent. And so I think no matter what religious tradition or non-religious tradition that we're raising our kids in, it's it's also really vital that we provide channels and permission and tools for them to dissent from it at the same time. You know, and that's basically just critical thinking. Like, uh, are you sure about this? Is this is this right? You know, can I, am I allowed to disagree? And the answer should be yes. Hmm. Yeah, I remember Nate and I talked a while back about when we were talking about, okay, how do we, you know, raise kids that think critically and and also you know how do we pass on some of our beliefs without making them feel like they have to but we thought if we just ask the question like does that make sense to you if we ask them that question and Mm. and let them you know some some things just 
might they might go no that doesn't really make sense to me <laughs> and who knows we might go yeah it doesn't really make sense after all um, right you know i don't think that was a question we ever we as children were ever considering like that wasn't an option mm-hmm. it was like it's just true it doesn't matter if it makes sense and so yeah i think that's that would be an empowering question but i'm sure there's probably other empowering questions i think that's a great question and i think that's appealing to their um, the rationality, right? Does it make sense? Is it logical, right? So I think that's a great question because our intellect is important and it's a big part of our children's lives. You could also say, does this feel safe? Mm. You know, and I think that's appealing to more of a mm. somatic experience. How does it feel in their bodies? Does, how does it sit in your body? When you hear mm. this, how, how does it make you feel? So that's another question to ask. And yeah, and those are all great. I think those are all ways of honoring our children's autonomy. You're saying that how you feel, how you think, um, what appeals to you, what you like, what you desire, that matters, mm. you know, and that will always matter more than these stories that we're telling ourselves. Yeah. I, I just had a listener question just came in. Um, mm. So I was going to, I was going to ask that. So this is a listener question from one of our patrons. Um, they share a little bit of their story, and then they say, I'm struggling with where to go from here. We are longing for community, but don't want to return to church. We don't know what we believe and don't know how to help our son figure out what is, quote, right and true anymore. I had answers for all his big questions about sin, death, why bad things happen, Jesus, etc. But those answers are now hollow, and I don't believe in them anymore. Should we just leave things open-ended with, you know, saying, I don't know, each time our children ask big questions— is that better than indoctrination? I ask myself these questions all the time. Mm. Yeah, and I feel like that's just a common so one. So relatable, we hear, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like you have to be honest. You know, if you don't know, you can't pretend to know. Just to, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I'm not a very good liar, and it would be really hard for me to to just throw out an answer just to not feel like a bad parent. You know, I think the best parent is an honest parent. Um, And so, yeah, if you're a little bit lost and you're feeling like you just don't know anymore, I think it's okay to be honest with your kids. And, And I think that it gives them permission to be honest when they are feeling lost as well, which they will, you know, I think that's just normal. But if they are really seeking, you know, and and see, the thing is, (laughs) we go through different faith stages, right? Like a lot of us as adults, we've already been through many different stages and and we're at the stage of deconstructing and and maybe cynicism. But our kids are in the stage where they're seeking and they're they're seeking their first container, their first stories, right? Mm. Um, And so they are in a different season. And I think we can honor that as well. And so I think giving them um, some resources, you know, we don't parent in isolation or, you know, with this hyper independence, right? Like our kids can have a community. So maybe there's somebody who you admire in your life and in your orbit who have a solid, you know, robust belief system or faith system or a good story that they live their lives by. And it's like, Hey, why don't you talk to uncle, you know, Pete and, and say, and ask your questions to them. And that's also a really great lesson that you always listen to lots of different voices, right? Hmm. That you piece together your own faith by listening to what all is out there and then deciding for yourself. 
So you lean into the community. And I think, I know I lean into the community when, for my own faith, right? It's like, well, there are times I'm just like, I can't deal with this. And, and it's okay to just kind of let other people carry you. Yeah. But I, I just want to say to that listener that they're definitely not alone. It's very relatable. Mm-hmm. And, and also it's okay to, to change your mind. It's okay that you said you had these answers for your kid and now you don't believe in it anymore. Um, like it's, it's such a good example to our kids that we change our minds and it's good. It's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. it's not, cause I think we were raised to think changing our minds is really bad, right? Yeah. That I, it's oh, absolutely. backsliding. I once yeah. heard, I, I once heard a, uh, someone say they, um, they're like, they, some people accuse me all the time of, this was like a prominent person. There was some, someone, people accuse me all the time of like, you know, whenever you get new information, you just like flip flop and you go a different direction. You go with the new thing. And this person's like, yeah, like that's, <laughs> I do. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I learn something new about the way the world is or about something, right. new, I just didn't know about that before. And I, I, someone shares that with me and they open my eyes to this thing. Yeah. I do change my mind, you know? And like, yeah. but I totally agree. Like I was given that as, and I used to teach that as like a, a bad thing, right? Like you hold fast, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Right. You hold that's on. Right. Stand long fast. obedience Stand in firm. the same direction. Yep. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Long yeah. obedience. Wow. Yeah. 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 So I think it's good to change that narrative, you know, to be like, it's good to change your mind because it's just more true to the human experience. I remember, I think, listening to an interview of Hillary McBride years ago, and I think someone asked her about her deconstruction process. And she said, I didn't really have a deconstruction process because both of her parents were therapists who emphasized that change is normal and growth is normal. She's like, I just would say that Mm. I'm just different than how I was, but that's what I expected. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. Wow. That is revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. So I've thought about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, I I beat myself up a lot over this as well. Even in, in later stages of deconstruction, if I would change my mind on what I had changed my mind on, you know, (laughs) and, and I realized that it was rooted in that belief that changing your mind is a bad and scary thing that you're flaky, Mm. you know? And, and then I, I'm just like, no, actually, yeah. When you learn information and when you know better and do better, that's actually a good thing. And it's good that you were problematic, right? I think we, hopefully we all look into our past and realize, oh, we were problematic because that just means that we've changed, that we've been willing to grow and evolve and become less problematic and less harmful. Um, so if, if people don't look back in their past and see some problems, then they're probably not growing enough. Wow. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's almost like an arrogance there or something, right? Like if, if you're back, like, no, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't have anything to, that I want to do differently or do better. Like, it's like, oh, geez, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And the one thing that we know, um, as we talk about what are we passing on and, and this listener that reached out and saying, I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know, I used to have the answers that, well, you know, one thing we know, I mean, we're pretty sure, I'm pretty sure to, to the listeners of this show out there, like one thing we know that was most traumatic for a lot of us was this eternal torture for, <laughs> you know, for all time, right? Eternal, uh, right. you're going to be damned forever to hell and um, that's one thing we know we're not passing on so as we maybe waver a bit and like I you know well yeah for a year there I was really kind of on this train and I thought this is this is what it was and now I've kind of shifted a little bit and now shift back that way a little bit you know we are we are still like you said we're we're, uh, weeding out some of these pretty horrific things that we we had believed and we're not passing those same things on so yeah we're we are maybe passing on a bit of this (laughs) uncertainty and and uh but we're not passing on some of these pretty 
horrific things, I guess, which, so we're, we're doing better. <laughs> yeah. A lot of parents will say that I don't know what I want to teach my kids. I just know for sure what I don't want to teach mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And I always say that is, you do know what to teach your kids, you know? So if you, if you know for sure, you don't want to teach your kids about hell, <laughs> then you are teaching them about the idea that we can do better and that there is always a second chance, right? Um, that Because hell is this fear-based way of controlling people's behavior. Um, and so instead of believing in that, you believe that we compel people to do well by loving them, by giving them second chances, by understanding, being empathetic to why they feel the way they do. You know, like what you don't know reveals so much of what you do know, you know? Um, So parents, you do know what to pass on to your kids. Now, I think it's great that we get tongue-tied when we're trying to speak to our kids about these big spiritual concepts because it forces us to be more clear in our own selves, right? It helps us clarify. You know how they say, if you can teach it to someone else, that's when you've really learned it, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And parenting gives us that opportunity. We force ourselves to have to teach someone. Then it clarifies in our own mind what we really believe and... So it's, it's really such a two-way learning um, journey that we take together with our kids. And that's a great um, framework, I think, um, to parent our kids with spirituality is that it's, it's an exploration together um, with your kid. And so to that one listener who called and said, I don't know what I believe about any of those things. Well, discover it together with your child. You know, you kind of start over you this this child gives you an opportunity to become like a child again and figure things out together it's really beautiful and sounded a little bit like jesus there too becoming a child (laughs) um well i thought it was really profound what you said a few minutes ago probably a little while ago at this point just about being in a different season from your kids because i think that's probably where a lot of our listeners are at that you know that you're in a season of taking everything apart and when your kid is in a season of kind of building everything up and putting it all together. And, um, Mm -hmm. what, what would you maybe caution parents to, to not project onto their children and, or what would you say are the most common ways that the most common things parents are maybe afraid of that could be really okay? Yeah. I mean, I think that we assume that our kids are us, you know, because they look like us when we're in that age, maybe. And and the things that they're hearing, the, the gospel that they're hearing, may sound exactly like the ones that we heard when we were kids. And so we assume so much. We assume, oh, no, you know, when I was five and I was kind of converted and I prayed the sinner's prayer. This is the age that my child is at. And that's what, that's what she's going to experience. And then she's going to go on to have all this religious trauma and she's going to end up like me and she's going to suffer in the same ways that I suffered. And no, 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 I don't want that to happen. And all of a sudden we're projecting so much fear and anxiety onto our five-year-old who's just being five, you know? And I think that's one thing to caution parents. It's like, your kids are not you. They're not you. For one, they have you as their parents. And you are um, a voice in their life that you didn't have when you were a child, right? And so they have that going for them. And secondly, they are living in a different time and age. They are living in a much more information-saturated world. They're digital natives. They have access to different worldviews 
as opposed to what we had, which was very much isolated um, echo chamber um, in our communities. Um, and so they have some things going for them. I'm not saying that we don't have to be vigilant, but they have things going for them and they're going to have a different experience than you. And they kind of deserve to live their life outside of your fears um, for them. Um, and so I think sometimes in the name of protecting our kids, in the name of being vigilant and seeing the red flags in their lives, we kind of drag our baggage into their lives. And, and so as much as possible, I would say, try to separate that, you know, try to remember, oh, you're being reactive now. You're not actually being proactive. Um, and so take care of your triggers and take care of yourself and, and um, leave your baggage, you know, on someone else's door. And then come to your kid and, and make and be able to have a more clear understanding of, okay, what, what, how, how is it that I can support my kid's spiritual journey, you know? So I'll just give you one example. When my adolescent, my kids were, my kids are almost grown up now, but when, when they were in middle school, maybe they were invited to youth group. And that triggered me so much mm. <laughs> because that was when I converted, when I was an adolescent and I went to youth group and that was the start of everything, you know? And so I was so triggered and I was so afraid that I was almost, I almost had a panic attack, you know, when I found out that they were invited to youth group. And yeah, I, I didn't do that great of a job trying to separate myself from that baggage, but I tried, you know, I tried. And um, so I had to manage that, that reaction, manage those triggers. And then then I was able to approach the situation and make a decision. It's like, do I let my child go to this youth group? Mm-hmm. You know, and ultimately, I don't really enjoy using the word "let" with kids because they're not—they don't belong to me. <laughs> they should be able to make their own decisions. And so I said, "Well, you make your own decision. If you want to go, you can go." Yeah, and if you want to know the ending to that story, they did decide to go. But they, you know, they didn't enjoy that much. And that was the end of that. And so it all worked out okay. <laughs> but I think the the story leading up to it just revealed how much I was triggered mm-hmm. and how necessary it was for me to realize my kid is not me. They're not going to walk down the same path I did. And they haven't, thankfully. Wow. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian. I sense the Lord at work here. Mm, He works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.
Well, now you're bringing up your kids. I have so many questions. I'm curious about the ways that, I mean, obviously you share what you're comfortable sharing about you and your family, but mm-hmm. I think so many people are curious about like what practically, what are some of the actual things we can put into practice with our kids? And I mean, I know it's interesting. Like I grew up, you know, my mom read the Bible to me every morning, me and my sister, and um, we memorized so much scripture and we you know, always prayed before meals and uh, before bed. And then, of course, we went to church regularly. And it's, it's just interesting how now in, in our family with our kids, like we do some of those things and we don't do others. Like we, we essentially never read the Bible together. We don't really pray, but we do go to church. And, and so I'm just curious, like what, what were some things that you did with your kids to develop their spirituality and and what are maybe some things you intentionally didn't do? I mean, I raised my kids from the pretty much maybe the start of my deconstruction to the end. (laughs) You can put, I don't think there's an end, but, um, (laughs) but um, yeah, I, so it's been a change, you know? So when my kids were little, I did take them to church and we did pray together and we did do devotions and stuff like that. But then I don't know if we ever did devotions, but we certainly, you know, we certainly performed those rituals. Uh, and then as they grew older, we were deconstructing and slowly pulled away from the church and from the mission field and from, from everything. And so we just kind of stopped doing that. And so it's interesting to see my kids because I think they remember a little bit of that past. And, but then we were so different now that they, find it incredible that we used to do those things. I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it is is interesting. But uh, I think for us, because, you know, I'm, we're in an interracial marriage and international marriage and, and we were missionaries. And so we, we just live a very uh, out of the box uh, experience in life. So it kind of gives us that freedom to kind of be a little different. And so my kids, they, they have a very interesting experience. They had faith-shifting parents, you know, and, um, and it's different. It's different from other people, um, but it's okay because they're different from other people in so many other ways too that it just kind of folds into the diversity of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of developing their spirituality, we did stop I would say we're post-Christian, um, and so we don't we've we've uh, abandoned that story, but um, but I do feel like they're nurtured by this wonderful um, golden age of television. <laughs> you know the stories that are being produced. I mean, they're they're wonderful. There there are some profound stories that are being told by. Diverse. I mean, everything everywhere all at once is, has gotten the most nominations. You know, my kids are so excited because they're Asians. Mm-hmm. And to have that re- representation is exciting for them. And they delve into such deep themes of spirituality that um, I think there's no shortage of resources to discover the beauty of being mm-hmm. human um, outside of church and, and the story that we used to have. And so I think that they are flexing their spirituality um, using a lot of other beautiful stories beyond the one they have been given. Wow, that's really profound and, and takes me kind of right into what the talking about the Bible, just as we're talking about other stories, because that was kind of the first question I wanted to ask you was, is like, most of us grew up just learning everything we knew about God came from the Bible. Like it was specifically, if it didn't come from the Bible, then it didn't count. Like it's, you, you can't 
take anything mm-hmm. that's outside the Bible as really a basis for God or your faith or spirituality. And so I wanted to ask you yeah, about like, how do we you know, help kids grow spiritually? I mean, that's even, that's a weird, I feel weird using that phrase because it's not really the, the way that I think anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but in ways that aren't just from the Bible, but you, I mean, you've kind of already started to answer that. And that's really, that's interesting because I think so many of us think of movies as like this, uh, you know, kind of a bad thing, but, but you're right that they're the stories of today oh, yeah. and, and stories are, are powerful. And I know that you referenced, um, that's in right. the introduction to your book, Parenting Forward, you referenced Moana and I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's, I mean, cause yeah, yeah. that's a powerful story and. Well, my daughter's in film school, so movies are not just a side thing for her. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, she's very interested in in stories. And so um, for sure, I think that there are ways that that, um, they can find their human experience reflected, reflected in these stories being told. And I just remember when my daughter was leaving home for college and we were having our goodbye meeting, which was so sad. Um, And I remember telling her, I said, I want you, oh, it's going to make me emotional, but Mm -hmm. I wanted her to go out into the world to see pieces of herself reflected in that world and to figure out who she is, you know? And that's, I think, the project, you know, that's the job. And I think that's what we're always doing. I think that in the fundamental, in my fundamentalist days, we we had this idea that we grow our spirituality as if it's a one-way trajectory and that it's this curriculum, you know, you have, you know, the basics. I mean, it was the catechisms, right? You actually had to, you knew these are the doctrines and then you build upon it and you become more mature. Then you become leaders. Like there is actually a spoken and unspoken curriculum for your spiritual growth and discipleship and maturity. And that was too constricting for me. You know, I think that we go through seasons, right? Like when you lose somebody, right? And you, or you live through a pandemic, or you move across the world or across the country. Those are kind of built-in life lessons, right? And they don't happen the way you plan it. Nobody planned for a pandemic, right? And so I think it's much better to um, allow our kids to live their spirituality more organically, to, to, you know, to equip them. I think we can equip them with, well, I think socio-emotional tools are very important um, for kids to, to navigate life. And, and um, so that when those things happen, when those organic lessons come along, they can lean into it. They can be honest. They can be authentic. Um, and they can learn what they need to learn from it because they have been given, you know, the resources. And, and when I say resources, it sounds so academic, but really it's a resource of what I said in the beginning is giving our kids love and belonging, you know, like that is an incredible resource for them. For If a kid is raised in a family with love and belonging, they can do anything, you know, they can weather anything. They can be resilient against anything. It's a superpower. It's a, it's a super resource. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I'm yeah. answering your question, but just some thoughts. Yeah, I I love that. I was just thinking, you know, picturing there are listeners out there and we've met so many of them on Zoom calls and things like that. And 
there's I think there's just a lot of fear around this topic. You know, like like mm. I said at the beginning, it's like they know they can handle this, and it's you know there's a lot of trauma there, and but they know how they it's it's themselves, right? They know how to get through that, and they they know the resources to. But then when you have these these children, right? Like there's just I don't know, there's there's so much fear of messing up, and I guess mm. if you if you were imagining these people out there that are just so afraid of messing up and messing up your children and messing up as a parent, and mm-hmm. you know my kid's gonna be in therapy someday because of you know. Like that's good. We've been talking about it. Yeah, exactly. we should that's normalize what was, therapy. <laughs> that's <laughs> what I always say is like your kid will be in therapy, and some of it is going to be because of what you did or didn't do. Like that's just you have to accept that, right? But yes. yeah, speaking to this, these parents that are just so afraid of messing up, right? Like, what would you say to to those parents out there? I would say that parenting and all relationships, I might add, is uh, mostly about repair um, and not about doing things right. <laughs> it's mostly about making mistakes. And, and the, you know, I think there's been research that's been done that's shown the strength of a parent-child relationship and the strength of a marriage or any or friendship is in how well you know how to repair. Um, and so if you've messed up, yeah, it's not good to mess up. You know, I don't, I feel like there are a lot of people out there who just want to say, Parents, your mama, you're doing such a good job, you know, <laughs> you, right, you, exactly. you're okay. The kids are going to be okay. And it's like, actually, no, <laughs> if the kids were going to be okay, the world would be a better place, <laughs> yes. but it's not, we don't, we shouldn't minimize the harm that we can and do do to our kids all the time. You know, when I yelled at my kid, that did harm. I can't deny that, but I can try to repair that and I can accept the consequences of the harm that I did. And I think that's part of the repair as well, right? It's taking responsibility for the harm that you did. Um, And so I would say you can be afraid of messing up, but I would rather you spend your energy instead of being afraid of messing your kids up, learning tools of repair, Learn how to apologize to your child. Learn how to take responsibility. Learn how to not project your fears and anxiety onto your child. Learn how to see them for who they are and listen to them. Like learn all those things that help you become resilient of the times when you are in fact a messy human being. And that because you can be a perfect, you can be do all the right thing. We all know this. Two people get in a conflict and they both had perfect intentions. They, they both had good intentions. They didn't want to hurt each other. And yet they end up hurting each other. And that's not sin. That's not a disorder. That's just the nature of the complexities of our human personalities and emotions and circumstances, right? And so, yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's not okay. It's not okay to have conflict. I mean, it's, it's not okay to hurt each other. But you, there's recourse there. You know, there's an opportunity to repair. Um, and so learn those things. It's something that the, the tools are out there. Read a Brene Brown book, you know. <laughs> um, read Gottman. Read parenting books, you know. Read my book. Read, oh, what's his name? Dan Siegel. Read these books that, that equip you and teach you how to repair with your child. You know, there's so, there's such a rich resource of parenting tools out there that you can learn. So I don't know, that's just kind of a growth mindset type of thing. 
Yeah, I know. I'm really glad you said that. I'm really glad you brought up this. There's kind of this mindset out there. I see it a lot on Instagram, I think, which is just like, you know, like you're fine. Like you're, you know, I don't know. It's like, you're doing fine. Like you're raising your kids. Like it's it's just very lackadaisical. It's like, this is a really important thing. It's not just like your kids are, your kids are going to be fine no matter what you do. And, um, and then my story is like, I actually saw actual abuse happening to my children in, in, in the past. And like, this is a, these are, these are really big deals. Right. And so like, I think this attitude that we have of like, kids are resilient. Like, it's like there's truth to these things, right? Like mm-hmm. kids are resilient, but <laughs> you need to not actively put them in situations where they need to be resilient, right? This is a, it's kind of like a, just because they are resilient doesn't mean that you do these things, <laughs> allow these well, things Well, a lot of them, times right? they're, they're not being resilient, they're surviving. They're just coping. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's not resilience. True resilience comes from, like I said, a lifetime or a, a, an entire childhood of love and be- belonging. That's what is going to give you true resilience um, because you ha- you have this treasure trove of resources. So I, speaking of religious trauma, I think about why me and my peers, you know, we experience a lot of the same teachings and the same experiences from youth group, from the Christian school that I was raised in. But I <laughs> came out of it traumatized right? Mm. And other people mm. do not. And you see this in families too, the same set of siblings with, you know, siblings with the same set of parents, same parenting style, same theology, and one sibling will be traumatized and the other yes. is not. Why is that, you know? And the reason is because we have different resources, you know? So a child who is raised with love and belonging, who's given vocabulary for their experiences, who have parents that have gone to therapy, that child is going to experience the same thing that I do. And they're going to be, they're, it's just going to roll off their shoulders because they're like, well, I've, I, I know that I, I love me, you know, I'm have self-esteem and I am sure of who I am. And and this is just because you're preaching sin, you know, fire and brimstone at me, that's not going to make me feel uh, enticed. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I'm not rotten to the core. Like they have those resources. Whereas me, <laughs> you know, I fell for it hook, line and sinker because I was seeking, right, somebody to validate me. And I, um, yeah. Anyway, so that's the difference. And with siblings, sometimes it's age, right? Like if a a child is a little older, then they have a little bit more resilience in their bodies. Their nervous system is a little bit more developed and they're able to endure or be resilient. Um, So it's all about what kind of resources that you have. Um, So yeah, giving our kids, again, those resources uh, is what's ultimately going to help them be resilient um, and know you know, exposing them to the harsh realities of life earlier on in their life, earlier on in their childhood to like get them ready for the real world. That's doing the opposite. That's actually, that's taking away the resources. You're depleting your child's resources to act to eventually face those realities. Well, I, as we're coming to a close here, I, I'm just thinking again on this topic, which been talking about the fear that I think a lot of parents are listening. And I'm thinking about what I think a lot of our listeners are probably feeling coming to the end of this. For one, I think you are, because of your journey, very comfortable with close to kind of, well, like you said, post-Christian, fairly Christian-less mm-hmm. upbringing of your kids, mm-hmm. or at least where you're at now. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. who are, you know, some some still in churches, and yet they're 
they're, you know, internally mm. feeling like I don't want to do this anymore. I think one of those biggest fears mm. is, is just, you know, maybe we can listen to a story like yours and be inspired and be like, okay, so it is possible. But it, like taking that step of saying like, I actually, is it actually okay to let go of the Bible and like not make that the center of my, my kid's world? Is it actually okay to like, you know, not tell them about Jesus every day and those kinds of things? Like, I don't I'm just thinking of, you know, I wonder how you may, how you take that step of being like, I can actually let go of this mm-hmm. and my kids are going to be okay. And you know, maybe it's still just this fear of hell, yeah. even for those of us who don't, who would say we don't believe yeah. in hell anymore, but I don't and know. And that's, that's so understandable. You know, so many people deconstruct hell in their cognitively, but they still feel it in their bodies, you know, that it stays in your bodies and you still respond with fear. I I have been there. I know what what it feels like to be afraid. And here's what I would say. Um, this is a, a, a phrase that I repeat to myself when I'm making any decision, is that no decision is final. You can make a decision and you can change your mind. Back to the change. Changing your mind is a good thing. Um, and so what you can do is I really recommend people you take a break. If you're, if you're going to church Sunday after Sunday and you're angsty and you're angry and you're worried and you're, you're, want, you're trying to, you're doing all this gymnastics to try to protect your child from these teachings, your body is screaming at you to stop going, you know? Um, and, and yes, there's all this fears of leaving, but you can take a break to say, you know what? I'm going to take a three-month break or a six-month break or a year break. And I know with the pandemic, a lot of people got to use that as an excuse, you know? It's like, oh, it's the pandemic. I got to take a break. And then you can change your mind. You know, you can, at the end of it, you reevaluate. Have I been happier? Are my children happier? Are we thriving? You know, and if not, then go back. You know, (laughs) hopefully churches say they're welcoming, (laughs) Hopefully they'll welcome you back. And that's, and if not, you go to another church. There's no shortage of churches. And so that's what I recommend. Just take a break. Give yourself, give yourself a break. Mm. Oh, I love that. And that's, that's very similar to like what I did. I mean, I was a pastor, I was planting churches and then kind of came back up to Portland and was just where I'm from and was, it's like, okay, I, I kind of went for a little while, but I was one of my rules when I went back was, like, okay, I'm not going to get involved in any small groups. I'm not going to just, I, I came from this very ministry mindset. You know, I was a, I was an urban missionary and I was a, I was a planting churches. Not, so it's very much like a, when I go somewhere to go to a church or whatever, I'm going to be leading worship probably within six months. I'm going to be leading a small group or a house church or something like that within a couple months or weeks, right? I'm going to be teaching some Bible. So just very much like, okay, I might go to this thing, but I'm not going to get involved in that way. That's going to be my first kind of break. And then the next step was like, I think I need to be okay. I felt a lot of pressure to be like, I need to be at this thing every week. So that I think it was so that other others that were looking on or were checking in on me where I can at least tell them like, well, you know, I'm going to church. You know, that's like the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah. he goes to church. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's quote unquote struggling or he's, you know, mm-hmm. veering off course, but he's, I mean, he's at church, right? So I think that was sort of the safety net of like, well, that answers those questions for those people. So I think it really, it, it wasn't until I kind of took that next step of like, I'm okay being viewed a different way. I think for all you people, people pleasers out there that are raising your hands right now, like that's a tough, that's a really tough thing to be like, I'm okay. People putting me into a different category in their head. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's, it's really scary for, 
I'm a type nine on the Enneagram, but it's very scary mm. for the people pleasers out there to allow themselves to be kind of put in that other category of like people praying for you, but not in the good way. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, like it's, a, it's, uh, it's scary and it, it doesn't feel good. Um, I can say like mm-hmm. from a personal experience, like it, you do, it does, it does, you do get, you get used to it mm-hmm. and you become comfortable in that. Um, mm-hmm. And giving up for a lot of us, right. Our identity was this was mm-hmm. I'm the guy that, uh, I'm the church guy, right? I'm the last one there on Sunday mornings. I'm the one that puts the chairs away for after the meetings. I'm the one yeah. that is uh, leads the worship and has the good things to say, interesting things to say about the passages we read that last week in our small group, right? So it's it, to kind of loosen yourself from those identities is, yeah. is tough. I mean, as someone who has gone through this process, I, I just want to say that... <laughs> You know, I I say your body is screaming at you to tell you to leave. And that's my Mm. experience. My body was screaming at me to leave and I didn't. And, and I was, because, because I was raised to disassociate from my body. Um, Mm. And so I, I just want to encourage people, give yourself that break before your body forces Mm. you to, or before some big trauma befalls you, which is what happened to me. Like I was kicked out, you know, (laughs) like, Before that happens, it's a gift to yourself. To You don't have to be at the edge of burnout or you don't have to be completely burnt out before you give yourself that break. You know, listen to your body. Listen, what is your body telling you? Is your body saying, this is not good for you. You're not feeling safe. This is, uh, you're not living a good life, you know? And, and, and honor yourself, honor your body, honor that voice that's calling you to take care of you before it forces you to. Right. I I love that. I did not listen to my body. I, yeah, I, just, like, I don't think we. Back I don't think we even knew of, like, how so, to listen to our bodies. Exactly. Right. No, we didn't. And yeah, but we have these tools available to us now. You know, we can do yeah. it. We can practice. I would get up and walk the halls during the sermon time. The sermon time was the big one for me. Having someone get up and tell me this is yeah. what you need to believe. This is that what was yeah. a very God triggering says. thing in mm-hmm. those. Yeah, yeah, in the first couple of years of deconstruction, I was just like, I need to. So I would get up and just like walk the halls, and I would still go. I wasn't listening to like clearly this is not working, right? Clearly right. this is not working yeah. for me. I'm like sweating as I walk up and down the yeah. halls, and like trying not to hear what I can still hear coming from, you know, quote unquote big church in there. But anyways, it's, we're so violent towards ourselves, really. I mean, think about yeah. it. Imagine if a child is like pacing. If your child was pacing down and clearly uncomfortable in a situation, the first thing you would do would be like, we're getting out of here. I'm going to, I'm, you're going to pick up your child and you're going to run. But we don't do that to ourselves. We don't give ourselves the kind of love and protection we would give our kids, you know, and please, the best thing you can do for your kids is to love and protect yourself (laughs) to give them the healthiest parent. I think it's so interesting um, how, how stories twist and turn and that I think, you know, both Nate and I took, you know, as as adults in this deconstruction process, we took that break from church and we stepped back and and really, I I don't know if either of us were in a place of feeling like we needed that again. But um, our kids was the reason why we actually were like we started looking for a church again. Which for some people, your kids are going to be the reason mm. you leave the church, and for other, your kids are the reason mm-hmm. that you want to go back. And we were really fortunate that in the area where we live, there is a church where we felt safe, where we we felt like we could trust mm-hmm. that they're not going to teach our kids um, the messages that we received. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, we ended up, we wanted that because um, despite the, I think, theological trauma that Nate and I both dealt with, we, and listeners of our show have heard the story many times, but we, we both had really incredible church communities growing up that supported us and raised us. Mm. And, you know, those are the people who showed up with the casseroles and those are the people you count on. And, mm-hmm. and, and so we wanted, we wanted community like that for our kids. And, and I think that's mm-hmm. a huge, another huge topic for people is like, where do I find that kind of community outside of church? Um, yeah. If you don't have a, you know, really perfect progressive type church in your area. And and yeah. I wonder with you yeah. with your kids um, after because you guys it sounds like you left church fairly early on in their childhood. Mm-hmm. What would you say like where did you end up finding your community? Ah, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know that we have a very robust community. I <laughs> it's funny because I'm just like I when I started thinking about leaving the community, I feel like I just want people like who get me, who I can like call to hang out with, who. Yeah, who will do this or that? And I'm just like, I think that's just mm. friends, you know. <laughs> I think we just need to make some friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I feel like that's just it. We've tried to, you know, just make friends, and we don't force it. It's just kind of organic. And we hope, you know, my kids make friends at school, and you know, my daughter's making friends where she's at, and we make. Fr- so it's just kind of friends and, and both, well, my husband has always been the type of guy that doesn't need a lot of friends. And so it, it's always kind of worked out for him. And then I used to, but I think it's like really natural as you get older that you kind of, I'm not as like, I don't want to party, yeah. you know, <laughs> very much anymore. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, we're both, we're all, we're all just kind of homebodies. Like. So, so looking so, back for your family, you feel like not having that kind of church community really, it wasn't like uh, a negative to to not have it like the way that you've ended up living life um I don't know that's those are good <laughs> questions and I don't know that I've thought about very much yeah because we're also I mean, it probably is just very different for everybody yeah I think every that's true and and I I definitely have a higher social need than my husband so I think early on I've had to navigate that like I could spend time with friends all the time and he needs a lot of alone time and as an introvert and that's and so I think having been in a marriage like that has taught me to be aware of like how much need you have for social relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like we have a ton of friends and we're kind of okay with it. Yeah. Is no, that that, a good answer. That's fine. I mean, I think if you're yeah. okay with it and if you, you feel like healthy people, then that's the goal, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and when it comes to my kids, it's like, I feel like they're okay too. You know, I feel like they're well adjusted enough to be making connections if they need to, but also they're also introverted and they also don't need to be doing stuff all the time. And I feel like, you know, it's just kind of our personalities. So I'm sorry if that's not helpful for people who do want, I can see the appeal, but honestly, like having all those obligations and community, like I was okay to say Mm -hmm. goodbye to that, you know, like I felt okay leaving all of that. I, I really crave authenticity in relationships. And so, and a lot of that was not authentic. So I think a lot of times I'll tell people, it's like, oh, I'm so afraid to leave my community. And I was like, yeah, but is that community even real Mm -hmm. to begin with? You know, are the relationship, like if, if the, it's it's all very conditional on what you believe, yeah. you know, the minute yeah. you tell them you're deconstructing, they're they're going to leave you anyway. So it's not worth being, you know, lying to yourself and to others just to have community 
who that is conditional upon your real self. You know, you deserve to be your real self to show up as your real self wherever you are. So, mm. and another that. thing I, I feel like is, is good is that in, in deconstruction or post deconstruction, you learn to know yourself better. You, you, you learn to honor your own desires better. And so I think for me, it's been really cool to kind of think about what I'm interested in. And, and then when you discover that, then you kind of get involved in the things that mm. you're interested in. And then you kind of make connections that way. Right. So like, yeah. yeah. It's the way, the way yeah. probably everybody else does it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, your book's Parenting Forward, How to Raise Children with Justice, Mercy, and Kindness. You should all go check that out. And I'm curious because the book was written in 2019 and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people change, right? We've been talking about change this whole time. That's I'm curious right. if, you, if you could kind of add on or someone reads the book right now and they listen to this interview, what would you want to be like? Here, here's something I would add on there or change about maybe what I said. I don't know. I write something and then later I'm like, Okay, yeah. it's been a couple of years. Here's what I would update about that. What would you, would you yeah. prefer anything? I actually did a re, re-read through of my book and kind of a book study a couple of years after I wrote the book just to see how I've changed, you know? Yeah. And I would have to say that it's, it's a progressive Christian book. So it is couched in Christian language. Um, and that's not the space I'm mm. in anymore, but mm. it's okay. I hope that it reaches people who are still in that space and that it helps them. Um, in terms of the content and the philosophies, especially when it comes to parenting and honoring a child's autonomy, I still stand by almost mm. all of it. Um, so I, I don't I don't think the book is causing harm, even though it's couched in Christian language. Um, yeah. So that gives you a little bit of background as to what if the book is for you, um, and and also if you want to give it to people, you know, <laughs> right. uh, who who to give this book to. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's funny because my, my kid just told me that his friend wants to read it, my book, which I find wow. funny, like a high school teenage boy wanting to read a parenting book. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a and remarkable so, uh, teenage yeah, boy. I signed it for him. Oh. <laughs> I kind of feel like they're just trolling me, but yeah. <laughs> you could take, it's, it's an honor, I'd say probably. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I, so I did tell, I was like, well, you know, it's, it's Christian. So just, just so you know. And, um, but yes, that's, those are my thoughts after reading my book. I also have a children's book. I don't know. Yeah. I have a children's book. Yeah. Called you are revolutionary and it's kind of about kids and activism. So if anyone's interested in that, and that is not, um, Christian at all has no, it's just a secular book. Yeah. I was going to attack that on at the end there and ask also just, I know there's so many parents out there. I know you mentioned a bunch of parenting books, um, and then authors, um, are there any mm-hmm. children-oriented books other than the one that you wrote that you would recommend, like something mm-hmm. parents could read with their kids? Oh my goodness! I, I mean, I know it's been a while <laughs> because since my kids, you were in that yeah, phase. because I'm not really in that space. Yeah, I mean, I would follow conscious kids mm. um, on Facebook because they're always recommending books, and you know, I, I I always encourage people read diverse authors. Oh, and you so, have a Facebook yeah. group as well, right? Yes. It's called Raising Children Unfundamentalist. Mm. Um, so you can search for me in, on Facebook for that. But I also run a parenting after religious trauma membership community. And I'd love for you all to check that out as well. And that's on my website, cindywongbrand.com. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for your time. And I think I really hope that this interview has helped the fears alleviate many of the fears of parents out there. And um, 
yeah, I can't wait for listeners to get to hear it. And also, yeah, really check out Cindy's website. She has some incredible resources that are hard to come by anywhere else. And um, yeah, I'm really grateful to have learned from you and catch a vision for um, what what life can be like and what raising kids can be like in a non-fundamentalist way. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Cindy.